Artist Praxis Podcast, where artists make meaning of their art making. Welcome to the second season of Artist Praxis Podcast. I am Deborah Fatsion-Grodsky. I'm an artist and art historian. And in my academic work, I research creativity and theory for artists. I've been working with artists for more than 15 years, writing about art and teaching at universities. I've always seen myself as an artist too, but I started to intentionally build my work as an artist in 2017 when I went through what I call a creative recovery. That's when I integrated my ideas and my material life in the true sense of praxis. I created this podcast to connect with other artists and to bring to you inspiration from the creative process of contemporary artists. If you, like me, want to continue expanding your creativity and imagination by learning with other artists, you've come to the right place. In the second season, I'm hosting the episodes by myself, but I want to acknowledge my partner in creating the podcast, the amazing artist Sara Hiagada, who shares the podcast with me in the first season. In each episode, we have one interview in which the artist talks about the making of one recent artwork. The interview starts with the artist describing their work and ends with a question about a book or text that impacted their creative process. At the core of it, we have a conversation about everything that artists work with, from materials to thoughts, feelings to tools, references to intuition. In today's episode, I talk with artist Jean Grey Moss, who is a narrative abstract artist currently running an open studio at ArtSpace in North Carolina. Selected exhibits include the Contemporary Art Museum in Raleigh, the North Carolina Museum of Art, and the Green Hill Gallery. Her work has been featured in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Southern Living, and Traditional Home, and has been shown regionally as well as internationally. You can find links to Mao's work and to the podcast in our show notes. I hope you enjoy this episode. All right. The piece that you are looking at or will be looking at is an abstracted object named Ancestral. It's suspended perfectly in balance with one thin nail, holding it flat to the wall at its perfect fulcrum. This piece is 24 by 39 inches and is made of a painted lightweight maple plywood which as we know is a basic form of composite created by laminating really thin sheets of wood together to create a really thicker, stronger uh, end product. These two pieces are bound together um, and are created from separate bodies or separate pieces of wood and are bound together with a book binding wax thread, which at first look, the look is quite fragile, but it is indeed actually very strong. Um, these two pieces that are separate lean on each other just precisely in um, just one corner, suspended and existing, um, supported by one another. The surface that you're looking at uh, is smooth to the touch and shows varying levels of opaque and a transparent paint that have been dragged across the surface, sometimes through certain obstacles. What remains left on the surface is the response of the material to that action 
and to the challenge of the relief or the resistance within the wood. The painted top piece's edges are straight with sharp points as the brown natural piece that has been unpainted um, mostly has curved edges. And if you were to look at it, there's a slight shadow as the piece is about an eighth of an inch thick. These pieces are intentionally abstracted to the point where the reference is there for my need, uh, but minimalized enough to allow the viewer to bring their own perspective, experience, and interpretation. Um, yeah, and I guess I forgot to just describe the colors, <laughs> but there's kind of a light blue wash um, with a white kind of curvy diagonal through the center or cream. Um, and the top piece that's kind of tinged a little bit with like a magenta color and the, the bottom wood is a natural, natural wood with a little bit of purple kind of hint from one corner on the left. Mm, that's great, Jean Grey. The first thing that came to me when you described the work was the very first thing you said that this is an abstracted object. And uh, my first um, impression of this work was that I was seeing a painting <laughs> that was cut. And um, I and then when at the end you're describing the colors, uh, I, I remained with the question of uh, if the painting on the wood, um, that if it was a painting that you did, or if it's actually uh, a reclaimed plywood that uh, had already those colors there. So I, I guess uh, my, my question really is, um, if it is an abstracted object, uh, what is it abstracting from? <laughs> and and how, how important it is for you that uh, you're describing it as an object uh, and not as a painting or not as a sculpture, I guess. Uh, yeah. Can you can you elaborate on that? Uh, those two words for me, the abstracted object. So I've been stuck here myself because <laughs> my entire career I've been I've considered myself a painter, and that means almost strictly on a canvas. Uh, and so somehow when I began painting, and I'll paint large pieces of wood, um, and then I'll cut them and form the shape from it, and somehow moving, I feel like, into a place of three-dimensional, which I never thought would be a place I would be comfortable working in more space and form. Um, and so they, I feel like they're moving in the direction of more objects than paintings. Um, and then they also are sourced for me in my mind from such very specific objects that uh, it's also sort of referencing that so these pieces, a lot of the work that I do references this balance. I personally walk of health in this, uh, in this world. And so to be precise about this, the top layer of this um, piece is referencing ribs and the piece below it is referencing lungs. And like I said before, it's not important for someone to get that. Um, and it, for me, it's important to say that. Uh, I'm working through um, health celebrations I've had these past few years. And so this work is processing that experience. And so, um, yeah, I feel like object feels like the right word because uh, even in its title ancestral, these feel some, somehow removed from me in a way that they, that I want them to feel an antique. I want them to feel like I found, could have found it on a beach or found it in Maine. I want them to feel aged and weathered and 
raw. I don't want it to feel perfectly packaged. Um, so yeah, an object feels better than painting. And then the second thing you asked me, because my ADD nature. <laughs> I, I guess <laughs> I guess that I myself lost what was if there was a specific second thing, but um I was uh, curious about the uh, painting process of it uh, and uh, the fact that is it is not a reclaimed wood that it, it is actually something that you painted uh, and and I guess that uh, now that you described it uh, my my impression is uh, there in the work of how this is a somehow it is a, a painting that was cut right so there is it is a piece that came out from a larger uh, piece of wood that you had, right? Um, and, and now here you added this um, very interesting point, which is the relation between these shapes and the body uh, and the human body, right? Um, are these uh, ab um, abstracted objects um, largely related to the body, uh, or are you abstracting objects also uh, from other kinds of objects in the world? So they're mainly based in this idea of our internal landscapes, the organs within our bodies. Um, but I don't just pull from there. Um, I do when I'm out, catch, carry a sketchbook with me wherever I am. And so often I look at positive and negative shapes in relation to each other. Like often I'll pull shapes from where branches hang and then the space in between. I look a lot at architecture. I look a lot at foundations. Um, and this kind of helps inform and also kind of step a little bit away from being like in your face. This is, this is a lung. <laughs> um, as far as process with painting, you mentioned, I guess it would be also fair to say that I like to create two different bodies of work, like two different bodies as in like two different pieces of wood, and they might be separate days so separate colors. And what's important to me is bringing these objects that were not born together and bringing them together in a way that is successful. So when I'm referencing like this health journey, I had a double lung transplant. Um, three years ago in like a week, which is like, like on Sunday, I saw. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so really this is just me processing this idea of like this, this organ that was born somewhere else and coming in, into my body and supporting my body. Um, but also doing it in a joyful way that helps me to identify this idea of like new possibilities that are beautiful. Right. Um, and so, yeah, that's an important process or a piece, piece to the puzzling of these is that they, they aren't the same or they're not, they're not born at the same time or created at the same time. I see. That's very interesting. And that uh, links me to another thing that uh, you said in your description of the work um, that I wanted to hear more about is this choice of the book binding 
wax thread to connect these pieces. Um, and especially the choice of how you do it with such a small point that is holding together these two large pieces. Um, you mentioned how this uh, thread, it looks fragile, but it's actually very strong. So it, it is uh, reliable for um, holding these big pieces, but visually speaking, it does feel very fragile, right? Um, can you tell me more about this choice of how to connect these two pieces since the connection is so important for you? Yes. And I feel like I used to be an elementary school teacher. So it's always like, ask, look for the clues that these artists are leaving you. Yes. <laughs> this is a really big one because an obvious reference would be stitches for stitching together wounds, right? Um, but I use the bookbinding thread because it's waxed. So it resists water, it resists mildew. It, it doesn't deteriorate as like a normal thread would. And it's actually quite sturdy. So it's referencing this, these sewn together bits. Um, that are existing to, to hold it together. Um, and then on the, on the side note, I mentioned these are made of a maple plywood, which is also a very intentional uh, choice because maple plywood is actually quite light. So when you see the wood, you feel the weight of like wood. You know, everyone kind of assumes this weight is this heaviness, really sturdy thing. Um, but actually, if you were to pick these pieces up, they're actually quite light. Um, so I love this play of like selecting materials that kind of throw off your senses a little bit um, and feel uh, opposite of what they actually are, you know, a heaviness or a strength compared to this, these like fragilities uh, and, and lightness that uh, these materials are kind of offering up for that. So I wanted to go back a little bit um, to the very beginning of the creative process of this work, um, because you mentioned that you're going to celebrate three years uh, since your um, transplant, which is awesome. <laughs> and three, three years, uh, it's that kind of like measure of time that is very difficult to um, understand because it can be a lot of time or it could be uh, not enough time <laughs> to process such a huge uh, achievement, right? And um I'm also thinking about uh, how, uh, since there is this connection between this work and this um, moment in your life, I'm thinking about the um, process of transformation in your own making throughout these three years. Mm -hmm. And um, and I guess uh, how much you have uh, had to adjust in your own body to continue creating, to continue making work. Uh, but also how much uh, in your own understanding of the value of making, uh, of art making, right? Uh, um, these three years must have uh, been transformational. Uh, so I really wanted to hear more about where this work that we are talking about now is located within this journey. Yeah, there's so many things to say here, right, Deborah? Mm, yeah. <laughs> I would like ground us in this idea that throughout my life, my work has always been rooted in object as vessel. And so the work itself is meant to be a place where it can, it helps me hold things I can't hold on my own, you know, places, places that you can't articulate things. It, it's, it's able to articulate. Right. 
Um, and so, you know, throughout my life, you may, if you've followed my work, have seen my work, uh, bodies of work change pretty, pretty dynamically because I am like, first and foremost, uh, an idea first artist. There are things I need to say, and then I find the material that can say what I need to say. And so, um, I feel like since in these past three years, it absolutely has transformed the way I've worked. And if you were to look at the work three years ago, I was doing what I'm doing now, but it was in paper and it was collaged and it was, it was trapped in like a rectangular square or, you know, a rectangle. And then I thought, why I'm not fragile anymore. I don't need to be bound to anything anymore. And so you know, I started taking the shapes off the page and then the shapes, you know, needed to be stronger because they could withstand more. And so they became, then it was wooden. And so, you know, the material, I don't know, it came with the idea, you know, it, it transformed itself and it, it seemed like an obvious, obvious steps to move in that direction. I love how for the artist who is immersed in the process, uh, each step seems obvious because it seems like well that's the best solution (laughs) (laughs) but there is a huge difference rising gray between uh, working with paper and working with wood Uh, can you tell me more about um, your process with um, creating this uh, piece in wood Um, especially regarding how you um, are able to cut such specific shapes. You know what I mean? Uh, how, how are you navigating this, uh, working with wood? Uh, it, it, for me, it seems that it requires a specific skill. It requires a, um, also it has a very different feeling from working with paper, mm-hmm. right? Or with painting on canvas. Yes. And I love it. I just feel like different, like, I am so excited about it. I can't see the end of like when I want to stop working with wood. I just want to keep learning more. Um, So yeah, what was important about this is like the physicality of the work was a really crucial part because that's not something I could have done before. You know, before it was like I was sitting in a place and I had all my things near me so I could grab it easily and it could be, it was water-based so I could clean it easily. And this was like, you know, it was important to be able to lift the work, carry the work, hold the work, saw the work. Um, all of those things are really important. So I want to say that. Uh, but the, the shapes come very organically. So I mentioned the sketchbook I carry around with me. You know, I kind of like batch work. Like I have a day for painting. I have a day for cutting. I have a day for sanding and finishing and thre- threading. Um, and so on the day of sort of creating shapes or puzzling, as I've sort of referred to, referred to it, um, I'll open up my sketchbook just to a random page, and that will often give me a jump a jump point. And then I have a sort of a jump point to begin, but I'm also responding to the paint that's on the wood. And so that also helps me. And often there's just a natural feeling. Um, kind of when you're in that space, I'm sure you know it when you're in the studio and you just get in the flow. And, you know, sometimes I, I don't know if I'm even making a conscious decision, you know, on the, on the other side of the three hours, sometimes I look back and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> cause it's almost like meditation in the studio for me. Um, and so the shapes come from lots of places and these pieces don't necessarily, they aren't made in like a day, you know, I, I might make a piece and then I have sort of a, a, a pile of pieces or a place of pieces in my studio and they kind of live there for a while 
until I make a piece and think, this is where this one belongs, you know, and then I'll pull two together. And I like to imagine that, you know, as my surgeon, you know, as my family calls them, the golden lungs, because, you know, my cavity of my body was a certain size and there was only going to be a certain fit with the blood type and the this and the that and the, you know, to be really specific about it. And so uh, it kind of feels like walking that the same kind of decision making in a abstracted way of, you know, who, where, how do these pieces, you know, f- fit together correctly or in, in, a, in a really successful way. Um, Cause it's, I think it's me manifesting like a really, really healthy, a healthy transplant journey. Um, you know, about 50% of the people don't make it in the first year. And so this was for me a way to like really harness positivity and really see success, you know, in this different kind of way. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's wonderful because there is also a process there of um, trusting that the right piece will show up for the other pieces that you already have, right? So there is a, a waiting um, period of um, observing and uh, seeing, but most of all, trusting that there will be the right piece that will come to fit the pieces that you already have, right? Um, and that um, it also made me think about um, in in the conversations that we had before the interview, you uh, mentioned um, the books by Sharon Loudon and uh, in Living and Create. Uh, living and sustaining a creative life. Uh, I love one thing that she says at the beginning of the book that uh, artists are between the most organized people that uh, she ever met. And, uh, and that's like uh, one thing that I always um, carry with myself and tell my students is just that we have different forms of organization, right? Different forms of organizing ourselves. And it's very much part of our creative process to figure out how we organize ourselves in order to make work. Um, And I was thinking here, since you have so many different steps in order to arrive to this one piece that looks so simple, um, you need to have all these different days in which you're doing different activities. So I wanted to hear more about that. If you schedule yourself to say like, I don't know, on Monday, I'm going to, just to put it simply, but like on Monday, I'm going to cut the wood. On Tuesday, I'm going to paint. I don't know. Um, If you schedule yourself or if you are um, really trying to go with the flow and see how you feel one day and, and how do you organize yourself to create a piece that uh, looks so simple and it looks really, and I'm so glad that you said it because it looks really that you did it in one go, (laughs) you know, because it looks so simple. Instead, it has this uh, complex creative process behind. So can you tell me more about that? Yeah, happy to. So I do, I am pretty regimented or try to be about the times I'm in the studio. And I think that might be as far as the organization goes, because sometimes I will have made enough shapes to come and it, w- it might be, it might be two weeks of piecing things together, you know, and of just piecing and sanding and then sewing them together. And then I might come to a place where nothing is fitting. 
right? And nothing is working together. So then it's just a place of creating. And so then it might just be, you know, a week or two of, you know, painting and painting and painting and, and, and building up like an inventory of colors and things in that way. And then sometimes it's not the time to make. And sometimes it's the time to let things settle and let the sediment kind of like settle to the bottom. And so those might be times where I'm out reading or I'm out walking and collecting shapes. And those times are just as important, right? I mean, we've all know that the, the creative mind needs a quiet time to kind of like allow things to build. So it comes, it comes and flows. And I definitely do not have a Monday, Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, except for the, you know, I make sure to, allow, you know, carve out those windows of time for whatever it is that I need that needs to be done that day. So I am thinking here um, to go back to the question about uh, where this piece stands in your, let's say, larger body of work. Um, how is it that uh, this work uh, ancestral uh, that you're talking about today relates to other works that you have uh, on doing or things that you think about doing in the future, uh, especially as it seems that this work might be in a transition phase between um, more two-dimensional work that you're doing before with drawing, I guess, that you mentioned, and becoming more physical in space, perhaps even moving towards sculpture. Uh, can you tell me more about where this work stands for you? I mentioned earlier that this work has kind of evolved over these past three years. As it stands, it's all kind of related to me and this idea of woven strangers. That's what I've been calling it. Um, and as I said before, like this physicality of the pieces, the weight, the balance is really crucial um, to the, how they're doing. But but moving forward, I don't see a lot a very large departure like i i know i'm going to be working with wood i know i like the way i'm i'm used or doing the surfaces um but what i'm doing right now is i'm doing a lot of research into different like methods different skills as far as wood is concerned i've learned a lot from um a couple couple women both named Katie uh if you would look them up it'd be like freeman furnishings i believe um online another one Katie Kozar and just really picking up a lot of techniques I don't know anything about and being really excited to learn about those. So moving forward, that's a place where I am is just uh, educating myself, right? I'm a lifelong learner. I do love that. And so I feel like um, a lot of my excitement comes from really learning a new material. And I do feel like I, I am uh, looking into these carves, starting to get some carving materials into my studio, which really excited about and so having them yeah come out into space more maybe even being able to sit in a space and not be not have need a wall for the support um i have a lot of ideas and i've been loving even working with um playing with like the plane like how i can even stitch things together but they start to become these more sculptural elements um so i definitely think i'm moving in that direction, how far it'll go, I guess we'll, I guess we'll see. But I'm excited. I'm excited about it to grow that skill set uh, and to see what happens. So, I want to 
want to hear from you if there is any specific uh, book or text, um, anything that uh, you read that impacted the creative process of this work. Um, so I guess I could speak just quickly to like the chronic illness and disabled community and say that a couple of books that were super crucial to me being able to harness some of the ideas or work my way through some of the things that I've had happen uh, was No Mud, No Lonest. Um, and I always say the name wrong, but it's Thich Nhat Hanh. I think I always say his first name. Oh, wrong. I think it was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say it correctly every time, but you guys know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and this other book, How to Be Sick by Tony uh, Bernhard, were just super influential to me to allowing space um, for this creative process and for understanding a little bit about I don't know, just the complexities of being uh, a person uh, who's, you know, has different challenges than maybe other people around you, like, and how, and how to like work through that in a positive way, uh, or at least, you know, help for me. So those are really influential to me, but also in a way really helped my creative practice in a way that, you know, might not seem as obvious. Um, obviously you talked about Sharon Loudon. I just, I love, the transparency and learning about the people, the creative people in her books um, and how they all make a sustainable career. Like I just, it's really fascinating to me just to really get an in-depth, lovely view into those people's lives. So I'm thankful for her work. Um, those are ones that I think that really have helped. And then right now I'm just reading a lot. And by reading, I mean like picking up and reading like a few pages and then like a couple weeks later picking up, reading a couple pages. But Love Helen Frankenthaler, reading Fierce Poise. Um, I've also kind of been touching in and out of Everything She Touched, which is The Life of Ruth Asawa by Marilyn Chase. Um, and I have Night Street Women by Mary Gabriel up on my shelf ready to read when I've managed to find my way through these other ones. Not that they're not good reads, just that time management for books is probably the hardest, one of the harder things for me to, to wrap my way around. I need to do Audible, but... <laughs> Great. I'm gonna just um, ask you one more question. <laughs> Going a little bit out of the format here, just because um, the the first books that you mentioned, the Nomad, No Lotus, and How to Be Sick, um, I think that uh, they are such um, interesting books to talk about uh, creative process. And there was something during the the interview that uh, I noticed that uh, you constantly sustain uh, very carefully this. Um, uh, not I would I don't want to say preoccupation. I want to say consideration about uh, the viewer, right? About who is going to encounter your work, uh, and you you're always uh, creating this space between your own experience and how uh, your experience with uh, the health, uh, your health journey um, is impacting your work, but how you want to uh, give to the viewer um, any space for uh, relating to the work in, in their own way and, and perhaps experiencing the work in a very, um, you would use the word positive. I would also use the word like light because the piece looks so light uh, somehow um, in a light way. 
and I guess that that's uh, connected with your understanding and your learnings from these books uh, also that you mentioned. So I just wanted to hear more. I'm saying all these to say that I wanted to hear more about your um, your, let's say, translating of reading these books and bringing that to your creative practice uh, in a way that is uh, creating this connection with the viewer and creating your connection with the world and with other people. <clears throat> so what I hear you saying <laughs> mm -hmm. is that um, pre-surgery, I was, you know, a younger mom on oxygen all the time without any any model for me to understand that things could be better, things could be um, successful. And so these books gave me a model for uh, setting the stage for myself um, of, uh, positivity is the wrong word, but helping me to, Masadia no, no Lotus, helping me to like, not appreciate, but also kind of appreciate, you know, where I was and um, how to make joy of small things. Um, and so it was, it was a very isolating experience. And I, I guess after the fact um, of the surgery, I try to extend myself in a way to, to allow people to see a model. Does that make sense? I, um, about every three weeks, go and talk to pre-transplant patients at the, the hospital where I had my surgery just to say, like, there's another side and um, be able to present it in the way that I didn't, I couldn't dream of before. Um, and so uh, a lot of the reason I make this work is to be able to have those conversations if people need them because I needed it. And so it's really maybe for the, for the me that needed it. I don't know. So um, these books gave me the language, I think, to be able to do that. Um, and, you know, there's just a lot to be said about that. And I don't mm -hmm. I think I could probably, you know, continue to go on about it, but I'll, I'll kind of. Mm -hmm. that, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I'm, I'm very glad that you mentioned it because um, we all, I feel like, uh, regardless, uh, and that's not to diminish any kind of difficulty, but regardless of the difficulties we are going through, we all need to hear uh, that there is, uh, that there are models and there are people that went through, right? And that uh, had uh, happiness and have success and have uh, health uh, beyond the difficulties. Uh, and I think that that speaks a lot um, to the to my interest in creative process because uh, any creative process is very much going through obstacles and going through the obstacles of our own ideas and how we are going to achieve right uh, success out of putting in the world what we are imagining and what we have the desire and the need to put into the world. Uh, so uh, thank you so much. Uh, I think it's perfect. Uh, and it speaks a lot to the word praxis and to the uh, goal of the podcast to uh, hear from artists and their creative process. Thank you, Jean Grey. Thank you. 
This season of Artist Praxis podcast is created by Deborah Fatian Grodsky. Original music by André Ravi. If you enjoyed the interview, leave us a review and share this episode with a friend. That will help us reach a broader audience. If you are an artist and would like to be interviewed, or if you would like more information about the podcast, please visit artistpraxis.com. Thank you.